Hello, welcome to a podcast accompanying the Lancet's new commission on pollution. I'm Gavin Cleaver. I'm joined today by three prominent voices in the pollution debate. We've got Phil Lundgren and Rich Fuller, who are two of the leaders of our commission, and Gina McCarthy, President Obama's Administrator of the Environmental Protection Agency. But I'll let them introduce themselves and tell us a little bit about why this commission is so important. I'm Philip Landrigan. I'm a pediatrician and an epidemiologist. Uh, I'm Dean for Global Health in the Mount Sinai School of Medicine in New York City. I've been working since the 1970s studying the effects of pollution on people's health, and because I'm a pediatrician, I've focused especially on the impacts of various forms of pollution on the health of children. I was delighted to be able to co-chair this Lancet Commission on Pollution and Health because I saw it as an opportunity to take the subject of pollution, which has too often been ignored and sidetracked and neglected, and to lift the pollution agenda to center stage in the in the global discourse. Yeah, I'm Gina McCarthy. Um, I have been uh, working on environmental health issues for 37 years in the states of Massachusetts and Connecticut, and most recently for eight years working for President Obama. Um, I was uh, the uh, the administrator of the Environmental Protection Agency for him, and it was a time when I think we made great progress on on pushing forward with actions that that really reduce pollution and exposure to to millions of people from uh, for protections in air pollution and and water quality and and cleaning up land contamination here in the U.S. and doing some good work internationally as well. Uh, but I think we can see from this report, and the reason why I want to be part of this is because it, it really shows just how far we have to go. You know, even in the U.S., when you can't see pollution, it continues to exist, and it continues to rob people of, of healthy lives, and, and disproportionately uh, people of low income and, and minorities. And we have to address those equity issues but it also connects very directly with the challenges of climate change. Um, climate change is all about protecting public health. It's all about the future of our children. It's all about the impact that has to make the pollution that we're facing even more difficult for human beings to tolerate. And it's about the public health impacts that are directly gonna result from, from the challenge of climate change. So I'm interested in making sure that we we sort of rally the troops, if you will, with information on just how much pollution is currently exist, uh, impacting public health, but also how we need to make sure that as we're addressing climate change, we understand that as a fundamental public health challenge, and also understand that as we're making steps to address carbon pollution that's fueling climate change, we should be taking advantage every time of the actions that we could take that would actually address public health challenges that they're facing today. And if we fail to do that, we're going to miss tremendous opportunities to improve people's health and well-being today, as well as the health and well-being of our planet and future generations. Uh, I'm Rich Fuller. I'm the uh, founder of Pure Earth, a nonprofit based here in New York that works in countries all around the world, cleaning up and dealing with toxic pollution. Um, I'm also the secretary for the Global Alliance on Health and Pollution. 
And this is a consortium of governments from affected countries, including uh, Indonesia, the Philippines, uh, Mexico, about 30 other countries that suffer from pollution greatly. We brought them together along with World Bank, the UN agencies, into one umbrella to really advocate to bring this issue to global attention. And um, one of the reasons that I saw the need that we, we had to do this was while we were out implementing solutions in the pollution space and firsthand witnessing just how bad it could be, uh, we were also out talking to those governments and the donor agencies to go out and do more and more work. And they would say to us, um, you know, I know this is important, but I'm not sure where it stands broadly in the whole development spectrum. How big a problem is this? Where is the data? And that's what um, uh, led Phil and I to get together and uh, begin to put together this uh, commission work, was just to really uh, understand the whole scope of the pollution spectrum. And to be honest, I was uh, quite amazed that the scope of this was as large as it turns out to be. Um, and to find that pollution is up there as absolutely the, you know, the largest cause of death or one of the largest causes of death on the planet is just, I think, absolutely astounding. We have a lot of work ahead of us, but a lot of interest and a lot of agencies around the world who want to see this problem go away or at least be reduced. So uh, this report's a great start. Absolutely. And Gina, Phil, Ridgewood, thank you so much for joining us today and for your time. So perhaps we could kick off talking a little bit about the Commission. And one of the things that really stuck with me from the Commission was uh, the emphasis you put on mentioning the how the forms of pollution produced by industrial emissions, by automotive exhaust, by toxic chemical releases, are all on the rise and the largest increases are actually being seen in in developing low and middle income countries now these forms of pollution maybe one of you could speak a little bit about why they've been overlooked for so long we've tabulated four reasons as to why pollution has been overlooked the first has been lack of information that until now no one has ever pulled together in one place information on the toll of disease and death attributable to all forms of pollution, and people and policymakers have simply not realized what a massive problem pollution is. Hopefully the publication of this report will change that. The second reason for ignoring pollution or neglecting it is a pernicious economic theory called the environmental Kuznets curve, which holds to be the truth the notion that countries must sink into a period of pollution, disease, death, and economic inequality as they go through the early stages of development. The, the, basically, the, the, the received wisdom here is that a period of pollution is an unavoidable consequences of the early stage of development. Our commission vigorously disputes that claim. We argue that with the advent of solar power, wind power, other forms of renewable energy, electric cars, improved public transportation systems, all of which are increasingly affordable year by year by year, that countries can avoid that descent into pollution and, and leapfrog over the disasters of the past. The third reason we think that pollution has been ignored is that the pollution control agenda has been fragmented. Ministries of Environment, Ministries of Health don't talk to each other in too many countries. Uh, environmental health problems therefore fall between the two. And then even within the Ministry of the Environment, you have the air pollution people, the water pollution people, the solid waste people. 
each with their own agenda, but not a lot of communication. So again, that fragmentation has tended to obscure the full magnitude of the problem. And then finally, of course, pollution has been ignored because there are people in the world with a vested interest in making sure that it's ignored. Uh, people that are the polluters, who may be few in number, but big on influence, have the power to sway government, and they don't want us to be talking about pollution, they don't want us to be publishing papers, and they certainly don't want us to be making a difference in the world that might impact their bottom line. Let, let me just put a finer point on, on one thing, and one is that there is a, a old wives' tale that keeps coming up, that in order to grow your economy and jobs, that the price of that is additional pollution. And, you know, I could not disagree more, you know, because the challenge that we've been facing in the United States on pollution, we've been facing and tackling it since the 1960s. The result of that is that we have had our air pollution drop 70%, while our GDP has tripled. There is literally no evidence, even going back decades, that you have to sacrifice human health in order to grow jobs in the economy. In fact, it's, it's really just, just the opposite. And I think one of the things we're continuing to struggle with also is, is, is that same dynamic relative to climate change. There is an argument that you can't address climate change because bottom line, you're gonna to have to make big transitions in the energy world that are gonna disadvantage people. Well, it's just the opposite. The technologies in the products that are, that are available to us today can allow us to advance economically, grow jobs of the future, while we address the pollution that is fueling climate change. We now know that for the past three years in the United States, we have seen our carbon pollution return to levels way like maybe 2004 levels while our economy has been beginning to take off. And so we see that we can dissect those issues and we no longer need to grow the economy by also growing the amount of pollution and public health challenges that it causes. And worldwide, global carbon emissions have been going down while the global economy has increased. So we have to stop thinking in such narrow ways and think about how we don't ask people to sacrifice in terms of jobs in the economy, but you use pollution reduction, better public health, as a way to raise people out of poverty, give them more power so they can continue to demand a productive and healthful lifestyle. That's how it works. Pollution keeps people in poverty. When you tackle that issue effectively, you actually find a way to grow your economy while you're, while you're actually creating benefits for the future of the next generation. That's where you have to be today, not thinking that you have to sacrifice. The, the developing world should not have to sacrifice. It should find ways to continue to move forward on the basis of a variety of investments that have made elsewhere that make a bright future possible for them. That's what they should demand, nothing less. Of course, and what an important point to make because so often in, uh, in the story of growing the economy, we hear that this pollution is almost a necessary evil to, uh, 
to for the economy to grow. Uh, the, the the two actually you're saying there are are not mutually exclusive. You can have economic growth at the same time as tackling pollution. When you look at the evidence, um, it it actually shows the opposite. That in fact, clean growth is the one that gives you the better outcome over the longer term. And, and, and the economic data that we present in this commission report show very clearly that pollution seriously holds back the economy in a developing country. The, uh, the productivity losses in, in emerging economies that are caused by pollution amount to 2% of GDP. That those are, the, those are the lost opportunities that result from people being taken out of the workforce from illness or premature death. And on top of that, the health care costs of caring for people who are made ill by pollution amount to a staggering 7% of health care costs. Yeah. Those, those 2% of GDP for productivity, 70% of health care costs, uh, those are, that's a terrible drag on any economy of a country that's trying to lift itself out of poverty and is a, is a sufficient enough drag on the economy that it can actually undermine a country's prospects for development. So as well as the economic discussion, I was wondering as well if we could talk a little bit about uh, the, the shift to larger urban areas, because of course across the world we're seeing a, an unprecedented population shift to larger and larger cities, especially in countries like China and India. And How will this affect pollution in the future, and, and how, how can we tackle the problems that this will cause? Yeah, and this is a big problem. And- this is one of the main driving forces to, that we're seeing in this report is uh, increases in industrialization and urbanization um, are adding to these numbers substantially. And it talks to a couple of key uh, solutions. The most important, of course, is that one group that needs to pay attention to pollution broadly are the mayors. And these are the folks that have the ability to bring the right kind of planning to their cities to be able to mitigate a lot of these exposures. They can control through their own local regulatory structures um, air quality to a great extent, and certainly chemicals and industry and soil pollution substantially. As well, they have um, the ability to bring the right kind of investment in for all kinds of water and sanitation issues. So we see um, if we can bring this this message appropriately to that group of people, then um, this is one of the main ways we can drive some of these numbers down. Yeah, cities cities contain 55% of the world's people, are responsible for 75% of greenhouse gas emissions, and contain an amazing 85% of global economic activity. So that mayors are extremely important, and oftentimes I think have a broader span of control than national And of course, the population concentration in these cities means that toxins that are released have a much larger impact. Uh, so it's a natural place of focus. That's not to say that in rural areas there aren't significant exposures. Uh, you know, cities, that's where much of the very lowest hanging fruit lies. Absolutely. Gina, is there anything you'd like to add to that? Well, just a couple of things, because I think that the shift to uh, urban areas is is really becoming very challenging from, you know, from many perspectives. But what my colleagues say is absolutely right. It also presents real opportunity for investment that's going to pay off significantly 
in terms of the public health impacts that that will benefit you know when you when you have that many people living in an area the air pollution challenges can be extreme but when you think about resolving those through looking at clean vehicles and building technologies that will make them more efficient there are ways of growing the urban world that can prevent those those uh, environmental challenges and there are ways of looking at urban the urban areas we have today as uh, as really low hanging fruit opportunities to address air pollution in a cost effective way as well as address carbon pollution that's fueling climate change and the only other thing i would mention and this is for the broader audience obviously is that i don't think anyone is more disappointed than i am that the united states at the federal level here is is really asleep at the switch when it comes to challenges uh, like environmental protection and uh climate change in particular and i don't want anyone to think that just because folks in washington dc are not pushing forward with these issues that the united states is asleep because we're not what you see is that states and cities are picking up the pace as well as our business community because they recognize exactly what everyone is saying that it matters to our future it matters to current public health and they're close enough to look at the opportunities for advancing reductions in traditional pollutants and carbon pollution and they are going to move those forward regardless of what anybody says in Washington DC so the clean energy transformation that we're seeing uh is 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 happening in the United States and it's going to continue to happen and it's going to produce continued public health improvements no matter what happens and so i don't want people to think that that we have forgotten our past in terms of how los angeles looked a lot like beijing does today we have learned our lessons and we're not going backwards and that's it's a really interesting focus on on city level governance that the, the three of you provide there is really important methods for tackling city pollution are city solutions that's uh, that's a very important point to make as well from this commission so in 1967 i was a brand new graduate from medical school and i did my internship at cleveland metropolitan general hospital in cleveland ohio the mm-hmm. hospital was located within a mile of the steel mills that then operated in cleveland the hospital had a long corridor about a quarter mile long on certain days we could not see down the length of that corridor because the blue gray sometimes brown air pollution coming in from the mills was so intense or over the hospital sat on a bluff overlooking the Cuyahoga River today all of that's been cleaned up the Cuyahoga River has been turned into a recreation area people kayak there there's a lot less lung disease and heart disease in the citizens of Cleveland people are living longer it's a just a little vignette that illustrates precisely what what Gina was just saying Absolutely. That was very important. So um if we could move from looking at it on a city level to looking and on a global governance level, what what can we do right now globally to mitigate the effects of pollution on low and middle income countries? I the I think the you know, the generic argument goes that it's it's too expensive for us to act globally to to tackle pollution worldwide. But what would you say about that? There's two things. First of all, it hasn't been in anyone's agenda to deal with pollution in any of the bilateral agencies and also not with the foundations that are you know responsible for a lot of the large 
global public health initiatives, we need to have it become one of the agenda items to deal with because there is such a good opportunity here. The second thing we need to realize is that um, this is not as if um, the development world needs to go out and solve these problems. These are issues of public health that can be done often with policy and enforcement initiatives by countries themselves who can provide the brunt and the majority of the effort and energy involved in it. They just need a leg up to help to do this work. And that applies to cities as well. They need some training, some um, development of ideas. They need to understand the scope of the problems, where the solutions lie. So there's a lot of fertile activities that can be done by the development community that in turn will seed activities from countries and cities that will save lives. I think if we keep that in mind, that means we don't have to shoulder the entire burden as a development community. We, I think we, uh, we're going to have a win-win. Could I just raise one point and, and turn the question around a little bit? Please do. Because I think the question is, how can we afford to have the world continue as it is? Yeah. How can we not afford to do this? You know, we have to do this. We have to tackle this problem. It is holding back countries as well as destroying lives in the future of our kids. You know, it's just too expensive. If you look at the risks that we are looking at here from traditional pollutants and the kind of impact that's having on human lives, as well as the ability to move our economies forward, and then you add on top of that the risks of climate change, it's just too risky to not take action. And that's, um, that's an incredible point to make. Next, we'll talk a little bit about the, the UN's Sustainable Development Goals. Now, you detail in the Commission how tackling pollution could assist with, with progress towards sustainable development goals. So maybe uh, you could tell us a little bit more about, about pollution and, and the UN's sustainable development. The SDGs have pollution smattered throughout them, very directly in health in SDG 3.9, which talks about reducing the burden of disease, death and disability of all kinds of pollution um, as a very specific goal. But pollution also uh, impacts SDG 1 and poverty and hunger, of course, um, clean energy, clean technologies, the sustainable cities and communities, responsible consumption and production. Really, it filters through all and impacts all of the initiatives and all of the goals that we see put forward in the SDGs. I would have liked to have seen it have its own focal area, uh, but I think uh, perhaps in the next round, in 15 years, when they get done again, it might have one of its own focal areas. But for now, it's there, it's uh, direct, directly there in different areas and certainly embedded throughout. In that part of the report, we make exactly the point that Gina just made, that pollution is intimately linked to poverty. Controlling pollution is intimately linked to controlling climate change, to making cities and communities more livable. Reducing pollution will, will help on about two-thirds of the SDGs. Finally then, following the publication of this commission, which, what actions should political stakeholders be taking right now and what can they start building towards? What's, what's vital straight away and what's, what's vital in our future in terms of you know, realistic political action? You know, the, the way that, that, that I, I think people can get organized at the community level, 
to understand what these numbers mean for them, to get better acquainted with the risks, as well as the opportunities for solutions. You know, I think we need to, to start investing in, in pollution reduction again. We need to do it in a way that is strategic and thoughtful and that is used to advance the economies of countries and really turn this whole dynamic of the environment and the economy can't go hand in hand into a, a really successful approach to marry them together, to move communities forward at the community level. Then you get up to the, the state or provincial level and then you get to the, to the country level and really start investing it because this is the future. And there are technologies that can be helpful that will allow the developing world to take advantage of cost-effective technologies that will keep the children safe, as well as opportunities for you know, growing as an economy of the future. And it's just time for investment now and to understand how those investments can also be seen as really sound economic and development investment opportunities. We see also energizing the community level as being something that really can make a difference. In parallel to this report coming out, uh, we're also launching a website, pollution.org. And if you go on that website, you can see all of the credible data sources related to pollution and exposures, all the way down to the town and community level. And you can add your own story there and add it in such a way that it can connect back in to government planned activities and help to find a way to, to solve something very specific on the ground there. So that's, I think, a pretty useful resource moving forward, too. The control of pollution is a winnable battle. This, the, the phrase winnable battle is, is a term that's been made famous in the States by Tom Frieden, who was the director of the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control in the Obama administration. And Tom has made his name over the years by picking winnable battles, orchestrating campaigns, and moving forward. We see the control of pollution as one more winnable battle. It's been ignored for too long, but now it's time to take it on. So we have the tools to win this battle right now. We do indeed. Again, I'd like to thank the three of you so much. It's been a really genuinely fascinating, eye-opening podcast, and it's a real privilege to get to talk to the three of you. You can, of course, read the commission now at thelancet.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.